Father, yes, uh, oh, for grace to trust your Son more. We thank you that uh, when we do rely and abide in your Son, Jesus, it is uh, so wonderful, it is so sweet. And I thank you for the opportunity we have together to abide in Christ right now and to allow your word to work in our hearts. And I pray that uh, we would be ready to respond in, in just exactly as your spirit works in our hearts so that you'd be glorified. We thank you for this time and we commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Well, we live in uh, difficult times. Now, probably every generation that's ever lived could say that at some point or another, but uh, if you've been around for a while, things have changed drastically in the last few months. We've had the coronavirus issue, now we have the, the civil unrest, and it seems like, very interestingly, these things have to do with uh, those who are unhappy, or many of those things, unhappy with what the government is doing. On one hand, you have uh, political movements trying to overthrow our duly elected government using racial issues to do so. You see the slander that Satan brings forth, and it's in the world. It's just to be expected. Um, Yet it's grieving to see those things happen. It's grieving to see uh, the worthless fellows, as you would see in the the Old Testament scriptures, people described that way, uh, creating havoc and riots and things. And yet there may be some genuine uh, grief or genuine beefs, in a sense, with our government that people are, are have, but they are being used uh, to overthrow the government. And so we see that, and it grieves our hearts. Uh, we see the coronavirus lockdowns, and we see the government uh, taking control over certain things, and can grieve us also as we look at that. Now, the world doesn't know Christ, and the world will respond uh, the way the world responds. And we see that. God has been gracious to, to stay the wickedness of the world in our country for many years. And we need to keep praying for that. But the world is going to be worldly. The world is going to be ungodly. The, worldly, the world is in Satan's domain. And so we can expect those who don't know Christ to respond wrongly, although we don't agree with it, and we can call it out on that. We, we need to say it's wrong. But what about Christians? How are we to respond when we do not agree with what the government is doing? You know, we have the issue of the coronavirus. We have the issue of, uh, of uh, social distancing and masks and all these things. And we've had a decree in our state that we can't have more than 50 people here, and we don't. And we've had a decree that we need to stay six feet apart, and we need to, need to use the masks and all things. We see that, and we're doing that. But I've seen other churches that have true believers in them totally rejecting this, totally rejecting this in our area. And it grieves my heart because everyone's together. Everyone is uh, doing the things they would normally do with hundreds of people, and yet they name the name of Christ. What should we do when we disagree with the government as believers? What should we do? Well, today we're going to see how we are to behave in an ungodly world as we look at our relationship as believers to the government. Would you turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2? And we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 17. And now you might have noticed, if you're paying attention, that just about every other week we've been doing something related to what we're going through and then going back to our First Thessalonians series. You look at that, it's been First Thessalonians, then something related, First Thessalonians each week, if you look at that. And that's what we're doing today. And We'll just see where the Lord leads us. But here, today, I felt the Lord wanted me to share these things with you concerning uh, how we are to relate. So in the book of First Peter, we went through this a couple years ago, but you might remember the context that Peter is writing to believers in Asia Minor. And they were suffering for Christ, but they were about to go through a fiery ordeal for trusting Christ. It's around 64 AD, and Nero is the emperor at that time. And soon after this letter was written, he would begin to heavily persecute Christians in Rome. Now here, uh, we see that the Apostle Peter is writing to uh, chosen sojourners who are temporary residents on this earth uh, that will encounter hostility and persecution, seeing as all believers we are temporary residents on this earth. And he has shared our great salvation in Jesus Christ 
And within that, that we are to rejoice in that, that God is even using these difficulties to purify us, to purify us. And within that, we should fix our hope on, on the grace to be revealed to us when Christ comes. Fix our hope on Jesus alone and that we are to live holy because he is holy. Allow his spirit to work in us, his character. We are to live in the context of godly fear because of the price that has been paid for us, Jesus uh, dying for our sins. We are, and we are and have been saved for a sincere love of the body of Christ. And we are to, thus, having been born again by the living and abiding word, we are to yearn for it and grow in respect to salvation. Now, after Peter shared that uh, the Lord is building us up as a spiritual house, as holy priests to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, a distinct people having been delivered from darkness to his light, we are to proclaim his excellencies. And then in the middle of chapter 2, he begins to uh, share his applications of this tremendous reality of who we are in Christ. Indeed, in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, we see that we are, again, spoken of as aliens or temporary residents on the earth, and we are to stay far away from fleshly lusts which wage war with our souls. You know, our fleshly desires wage war in our souls. And if you have ever yielded to them, you know that war. It's a battle. And all we need to do is confess and turn from that to Jesus or stay far away from it and the war is not raging anymore. You see, because in Christ we have peace. We have peace. But the reality is we are to stay far from that. And then he gives the first application of staying away from fleshly lust, which you would think might be about something else. But he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And that's so that God might open doors for redemptive opportunities. That's what God is trying to do, and that's what he desires to do. As they observe and thus slander us for our good deeds, that they might glorify God in the day that they are possibly saved. That's what God is doing. And then from that point, he moves to how we are to respond to governing authorities. And the interesting thing is I have mentioned the governing authorities that were over them at that time were not very good. We think we don't have good governing authorities. Think about Nero. Think about the Roman government at that time. Yes, it was a government. It did punish evildoers, but it also persecuted those who were in Christ. There were things that were happening that weren't good. And so how are we to relate in regards to government? What are we to do if we disagree with what the government tells us to do? What are we to do as believers? How are we to respond? How are we to respond when they say we need to wear masks and stand six feet apart? How are we to respond? Where is it that we do not submit to government? At what point are we not to submit? Who determines that? What is the dividing line in that area? Well, I believe Scripture is very clear, and we're going to see that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness if we're willing to submit to what he says. So... Let's take a look at our passage, and we're going to see how we are to behave in relation to governing authorities. I'm going to back up to read what I just mentioned briefly a second ago, and we'll read through our passage. From, and I'll start in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. I would speak of non-believers. So that in the very thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now we come to our passage. It's tied together. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and to the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondslaves of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. 
So then, I believe we're going to see today when it comes to the governing authorities, and there are some caveats, but by and large, as we will see, we are to submit, we are to obey, and we are to honor, and we will see later on from First Timothy, we are to pray. That's what we're to be doing. And that goes against our nature because we want to get things done. We want to go out and change things. We don't like what we're seeing. Well, we have to understand that the Lord does not rely on the strength of man to accomplish his will, although he will use man who is submitted to him. And so we need to submit to him and allow him to then lead us in the context of righteousness to do what is right in the midst of a dark and wicked world. So then, what are we to do? Notice we're to continually submit and obey to all human authority. Again, verse 12, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or as governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and to the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, notice that repetition, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. The Apostle Peter is speaking to believers, those who have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, those who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, those who have been changed by the Spirit of God through the person of Christ. He says, submit yourselves... For the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now that's an interesting statement in light of the the government that was around them at that time. And we're going to talk about the, the times in which we wouldn't submit and the times in which we are. But here we're going to talk about what he says. There are some times where, as we'll see, when the government calls upon you to sin, to sin, that we don't do that. But otherwise, we're to submit to every human institution. Notice what he says. Submit yourselves. The word in Greek is hupotasso. Hupo means uh, under. Tasso means to arrange or to order. It means to order under. It speaks of lining up under oneself, or in a sense. Or used to speak of military uh, soldiers lining up behind their uh, commanding officer, submitting to them, submitting to their superiors. There is an order to it. Now, it's interesting to understand that this term submit uh, implies authority. It implies there is authority. And within that authority, it's, it's very important to note that this word submission address, does not address personhood, but it addresses position. It addresses position. Now, the idea, uh, key within this, as I've mentioned before, the idea of submission is that there is authority. And ultimately, it is a subjection to God and to his authority and to God-ordered and ordained authority. It's important to realize that. So we are to line ourselves up. Now, biblical submission is laid forth in the Word of God, and we see it throughout. Besides governmental authorities, uh, God has ordered many other relationships where the persons are equal, but yet the relationships are ordered. Back in uh, chapter, well, not back, but going up a little bit in chapter 2, verse 18, servants are to be submissive to their masters with all respect. We see that in Titus chapter 2, verse 9 also. Chapter 3 of 1 Peter, verses 1 and 5, Peter calls upon wives to be subject or submissive to their husbands. We see this in Ephesians 5.24 and Colossians 3.18. In 1 Peter 5, 5, he calls upon young men to submit to their elders. God has ordained how we function in the midst of relationships in which there is order. In which there is order. In scripture, we have clear teaching concerning submission in ordered relationships. We also see that the church is to submit to the head of the church, Jesus Christ, Ephesians 5. We are all to submit to God, James 4, 7. And as we'll see today in Romans 13 and Titus chapter 3, we are all to submit to governing authorities. Now, the word submit doesn't mean agree, but within that, if we understand who we're submitting to and what it is and who's commanding it, there should be an agreement if God is the one who is laying forth those things. But sometimes we might have those who are evil in which we must submit to. 
doesn't mean that we agree to that with that, as we'll see, but we are to submit with a right heart. We're to honor all men. We'll see this later on. Think about John the Baptist. He was seemed to be, at least from what I see in Scripture, honoring to Herod, but yet he did share with Herod what his sin was. Doesn't mean we disagree, we don't disagree and we don't we're silenced in a sense, but we are to be honoring and submissive and in right relationships, as we'll say. So then we have this idea of submission. Now, totally intricately connected with submission is where the heart attitude is at. You could submit on the outside and not submit on the inside. And often in scripture where we see this idea of submission, right next door we see the concept of humility. And I venture to say from scripture's standpoint that when we do not submit, we are exhibiting pride. We are exhibiting pride. Look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and verse verse 6. But he gives a greater grace, James 4, 6. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Hey, if you humble yourself, he gives you grace. If you humble yourself, confess sin, like the context there was not being worldly in the context of, uh, of, of friendship with the world and hostility with God. But notice what he says, submit therefore to God. Humble yourself, God gives grace, and submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The reality is when we do not submit, there is usually pride lingering and hanging around somewhere. Look at First Peter chapter 5. First Peter 5. Again, I want to point this out. Humility and submission go hand in hand. You see, we want our rights, we want our rights, we want our rights, but yet the Lord wants us to be vessels of his redemptive love in the context of a fallen world. And he has ordered how relationships are, and he desires us to follow him for others' eternal good. 1 Peter 5, 7, or 5, 5, excuse me. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, what? Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. So then, so often the reason we do not submit is not simply that we don't agree, it's that we are being prideful. It's pride. It's a, it's, we are sinful, we are bent to pride, and we need to identify that when we are in a mode where we are sinning in, as such, and confess our pride, confess our attitudes, and ask the Lord to give us his heart to obey his commands, that he be glorified for his glory. So then back in our passage, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Now, he says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's one of the reasons we do it, for the Lord's sake. But he says, to every human institution. Now, he says, submit yourselves. It's personal. It's personal. Submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. Order yourselves under. Continually, habitually be submissive to every human institution the word translated human anthropine anthropine which speaks of human or man we understand that because we're all humans right and then he says institution the word is creasis it speaks of creation or creature it's that which is created by man in this context submit yourselves to every human institution or literally you could think of authoritative institutions that are brought about by man such as we will see as government. Now, the primary application I believe we will see today is government. That's the primary application. But I think there's some secondary uh, applications and room in other passages which line up with this concerning submission uh, in other ordered relationships, such as business and education, things like that, where we have where we have authority instituted in the context of humanity. 
Yet again, primary application here is to government. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And notice what he says. Whether to a king, that would be Nero, the emperor, as the one in authority, or to governors sent by him. They, the Roman government would send governors to, to uh, control or to, to uh, govern different areas, different provinces. Sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Now again, this phrase, a king as one in authority, would have, uh, would have been Nero, the emperor of Rome. And that might have been a shock to these uh, believers reading this. That might have been an absolute shock. What is being said here? Because Nero was a horrible man. He was a wicked man, he was a pervert, he was a slanderer, he was a persecutor of Christians. Indeed, many under his hand would suffer and die. He was not a good man. He was not a good man. Surely Peter didn't mean that they should submit to this evil man and emperor, did they? Did he? Yes, he did. And he explains. He talks about our governor sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. And he says, the king or one in, the one in authority has authority. And the governors, they have authority, and they would punish evildoers and praise those who do right. Now, fallen men in fallen governments don't always do things right. Things get flipped on their heads, and God will judge and take care of that, and we see that. But by and large, every government has punished evildoers and done praise to who that is right. In some sense or other, no matter how wicked they are, they have to do that to keep control of the government. There's governments that are ordained doesn't justify the form of government or what the government has done. Submitting to government does not mean you agree with what they're doing because there's another reason why we should submit, and we'll see it. It's a reason. Actually, turn to Romans 13, which was read earlier, and this helps us understand it. Because God is doing something through governments, even evil ones like the Roman government. And by the way, if you're aware of uh, prophecy, you'll know that in the tribulation time, there's going to be a government that's just like the Roman Empire. Same thing, basically. And right here he's saying submit for believers back in this time. So Romans chapter 13, verse 1, let every person be in subjection to governing authorities. Let every person be in subjection to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God, that, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God for, to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger of, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For, this, for because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor. As we're going to see, when we have governments that are not functioning the way that we would say is righteous or see as righteous, it is difficult to respond in a manner that is honoring. It is difficult to respond in a manner with submission, and we can have very, uh, we can lack submission in our hearts when we look at what's happening but what are we to do he says let every person be in subject to the governing authorities the governing authorities and then notice in titus chapter 3 verse 1 titus chapter 3 verse 1 he says remind them to be subject to rulers to authorities to be obedient so another passage. Now we have three passages. Remind believers, Titus, to be subject to 
rulers, that's arche, that means uh, primary, having authority, those with decision-making authority. And notice he doesn't uh, give different levels. He just says those who have authority at all levels. No exceptions. Continually place yourself into submission to these authorities. And then notice what he says. To be obedient. Obedient. The term's an interesting word that's translated to be obedient in Titus chapter 3, verse 1. It comes from two words, paith, arco. Paith means to to persuade or obey. Arco means to rule or to lead over, in a sense. Arche. He's basically saying to to be obedient to those over you, to obedient to rulers. That's the context. Now, he was talking to those in Crete, and the Cretans, as Paul would say, many would say were lazy gluttons, evil beasts. They weren't the greatest guys. They weren't the greatest guys. And neither was Caesar in the Roman government. Indeed, unbelieving authorities of that day were probably not that good and probably very corrupt. But yet God is sovereign over this, as we're going to see. No one is an authority, good or bad, unless he has allowed it and is going to use even their evil for good. So then back in our passage... Notice the first reason. There's a couple of reasons why we're to do so. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Did you hear that? That's important. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake. That's the key, for the Lord's sake. On account of the Lord. That's why you do it. On account of the Lord. For the Lord's sake, that should be your motivation. The Lord is telling you in his word to do so. And we should love the Lord, thus obey the Lord, for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. The command is not, since your pastor told you to do so, it's for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Obedience to the Lord Jesus should be our motivation. Obedience to Jesus. A lot of people say they follow Jesus, not many people obey Jesus. The reality is, in whatever we do, in word or deed, we're to do all in the name of the Lord. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. For the Lord's sake, our ultimate motivation. You see, we should desire to please the Lord. We should desire to please him in all respects. Even in uh, the book of Ephesians because uh, in, in the context of the way we used to be versus who we are now, it says in Ephesians 5, 7, Therefore don't be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but you now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Learn what pleases the Lord to obey Him, to submit. Now we're going to see what that means as we look through it. We're going to see what it means. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments or commands. He who does not love me does not keep my words. We love ourselves more when we don't do it. We love whatever we're trying to protect more than we love Jesus. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, for the, This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The Lord Jesus shared in what we call the Great Commission that uh, we are to be taught to obey the Lord and do all that he said and done, right? We're to obey. So our primary motivation for everything, including submitting in difficult situations, is for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. That's the motivation. That's why we obey. For the Lord's sake. Now notice there's also another reason why we do so. Because the Lord God has ordained authority. And I read it earlier in Romans chapter 13. But in chapter 13, the end of verse 1, he says, For there is no authority. Actually turn to Romans 13. And I'll read verse 1 again. Let every person be in subjection to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. 
That's a hard one for us to grasp at times because some authorities are very wicked and there have been very wicked authorities. And there's nothing wrong with having a godly authority, by the way. We're to be praying that we'd have saved leaders that we'd live a peaceful life, right? That's good and acceptable in God's sight. It is not good and acceptable for authorities to be wicked, by the way. But he is sovereign over that and he has allowed it to happen. And therefore, we're to submit for the Lord's sake because they are established by God. And then he says, uh, therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and they who opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves because God instituted it. So when we resist it, we are resisting God and you bring condemnation upon yourself. And then notice, this is still in Romans 13, the authority is to serve his purposes. It doesn't do it perfectly. There are evil governments out there, but by and large, all of them have served his purposes in this manner. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. And here you go. For it is, now he's speaking of governments, and specifically the Roman government at this time, it is a diakonos of God. The government is a deacon of God, a, a, a servant, a servant of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is, again, a diaconus, a minister of God, an avenger of, of who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. So then we saw that in our passage. Stay in Romans, but I want to remind you that we are to submit ourselves to every human institution for the Lord's sake, whether a king in authority or governors sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. It's a minister for good. It brings wrath. It doesn't bear the sword for nothing. What does the sword do? The sword kills. So then we have the conclusion in Romans 13:5 wherefore wherefore it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath not because they're going to punish you in a sense governmentally if you're evil but also for conscience sake it's necessary to be in subjection to have the right conscience before the Lord you see, if you are disobeying, disregarding, not submitting in the heart and even externally, your conscience is clouded or stained. Because God says in three places in his word, submit to governing authorities. It's necessary for conscience sake because God is the ultimate authority over it. He is the one who has ordained it. And if we go against it he is he is uh we are opposing him now that doesn't mean as i will say in a moment that we do not point out evil or wrong i gave the example of john the baptist earlier he was submissive to herod herod would have him he liked hearing him but then john the baptist during those times evidently was telling herod that it was unlawful for him to have his brother's wife and eventually that got his head chopped off for that he didn't not speak the truth in that context, but he was honoring, I believe, from what I see, and he was submissive from what I believe. So then, notice what he says. Now, those are the two reasons, for the Lord's sake and because he's ordained it, but I think one of the most important reasons is back in our passage. Let's go back to our passage. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether as to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers to the praise of those who do right. Here's this reason here. Notice this. For such is the will of God that by doing right, that's submitting with the right heart, by the way, doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. God is doing something beyond just our temporal reality in our governments and our view of our governments and our view of this world. We are temporary residents. For such is the will of God. It's God's will that you do this for a reason. That by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
We're going to see later on the very same passage that Christ is the example. <coughs> he did what was right. He didn't revile him or turn. He uttered no threats. He submitted to the Father and thus even the wicked government over him that led him to the cross to bring about our salvation. That you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. It is God's will, his desire, his desire. We saw back in verse 12 that these good deeds that the non-believers might observe, might, uh, they might observe them, so you've got to keep your behavior excellent among them. And that they might glorify God in the day of visitation. And in our passage, that by doing what is right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Sisters, foolish men are unbelievers. They are those living in the context of ignorance and spiritual blindness. They are spiritually blind to their sin, in a sense, and the things of God. Those, they are those who profess to be wise in their own estimation, but are fools by God's declaration. And yet we were just like them before we were saved. We were once also foolish ourselves. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves. But God saved us. We were fools too. But God saved us. That by doing right, you might silence. The word silence means muzzle. The ignorance of those non-believers, those foolish men. You might remember what we see, what we see later on in chapter uh, 3, verse 16, when we were in First Peter before. He says, and keep a good conscience, so that in the very thing that you are slandered, those who revile your good deeds or behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You see, God is shaming people that they would be silenced and maybe saved by our good, righteous behavior in the midst of things that normally man would not do. God has ordained governments. God has ordained them. We are to submit. We'll talk about, again, the areas where we wouldn't. It doesn't say agree. Now, within that, we're submitting to God for his sake. For his sake. Look back again at chapter 2, verse 12 in First Peter. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And the first application here is going down is submitting to government. If you're not doing so, if you're a loudmouth Christian vocalizing your dissent against the, 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 the government and you know your dishonor, one thing to say, I disagree, and this isn't godly. It's another thing to do it in a lack of submission in an ungodly manner. It's one thing to say these things are wrong. Let's pray about this. Let's pray for our leaders. It's another thing to do it with a lack of submission to the government. Keep your behavior excellent on Gentiles, so that in the very thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, chapter 2, verse 12, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. The day he visits them could be the day of salvation where they are saved and they realize, wow, what I slandered him for was totally wrong. He was doing what is right. God is the true God. He's a good God. He saved me through his son, Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for what he did through you. They're going to glorify God. Or they'll glorify him and the day he visits them in judgment. They'll give him glory, acknowledging that what they saw was right and it was from him and they were slandering it. It's a glimpse into the reason why we are to behave righteously among unbelievers and certainly unbelieving government. They observe our deeds. So lay a foundation for the gospel that they might be shamed and their slander would be muzzled silenced people who are slandering you who become saved are are muzzled immediately aren't they people who are ashamed of their actions are muzzled certainly they'll be muzzled in judgment but hopefully they'll be muzzled in salvation that's the theme of first peter this is why i don't like a lot of christian activism because it comes off in a way that is very disrespectful very disrespectful and dishonoring as we'll see we're to honor all men we're to honor the king it's one thing to disagree, like again, the, the illustration of John the Baptist. He said it's not unlawful to have your, have your brother's wife. It's unlawful. 
It's another thing to be disrespectful and dishonoring. It really shows pride on the inside of us. And believe me, we're all tempted because we see the wickedness out there and we don't want that to happen. We want to live a peaceful, quiet life and we see that wickedness. But we need to respond rightly because there's more at stake. The salvation of souls. The salvation of souls. Let your light shine in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I don't think that church I talked about uh, earlier with all their kids together and their services with no social distancing up in, up in north from here, that when non-believers look at that, they're going to say, wow, that was, they did what was right someday. They're not doing what is right. They're not submitting. Causes the name of Christ to be brought down and blasphemed. Let it shine in such a way. And in our context, submit. Submit. God is working on foolish men that he would, through his body, that he would silence their ignorance, hopefully that in that day they would be saved and glorify God. That's his plan. That's what he's doing. Right now is the day of salvation. Otherwise, his judgment would come. First Peter, Second Peter 3. The only reason he hasn't judged the world right now and destroyed it and have a new heavens and new earth is because he is saving people. He is patient. Not willing for any to perish. It's about salvation. And we get caught up in about our government. Nothing wrong with wanting a godly government again. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. So then God is working on ignorant fools that they, that they would be knowledgeable fools and be silenced and come to faith in Jesus Christ. So what are we to do? For the Lord's sake, Submit. Submit. We're to submit because he ordained, he's ordained authority. We're to submit because he's saving people through our good deeds. He's reflecting his character that they might be saved. That they might someday ask why you have hope. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now, do we submit in everything? I've alluded to these things. Do we submit in everything? And again, I've also alluded to the fact that submission doesn't mean silence. There are times where we respectfully, when we have a democracy, we have the, we have the ability to vote out people we don't agree with, right? We, have, we are blessed with this government. But the reality is, certainly it doesn't mean we're silent, but our whole issue shouldn't be about government. It should be about Christ, by the way. But do we submit in everything? Turn to Daniel chapter 3. And I like the book of Daniel's example. I like his example because earlier in chapter 1, and I'll just mention this, Daniel was told that he used to have all these wonderful foods, right, from the king. And we can eat them all now, but back then, God had instituted certain regulations to show that he was holy. There was nothing inherently better or worse than what he said, but it was to show his people were holy, to set them apart, to picture what Christ would do for us, ultimately, in that he is holy and we have to come to God the way God ordains, through Christ. And so Daniel asked that he might not defile himself, and he, and he, and he tried to compromise, and they let him do it. He didn't say, I'm a Jew and I must eat, not eat these things and this and that. He, he, he tried to negotiate, and, and God showed favor upon him because he was praying, okay? But there was a point in the book of Daniel where they did not submit. They did not submit. And what was that? That was when they were told to worship other gods or to worship the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. As far as I'm concerned, our government has not told us to bow down and worship them or other gods. They're not forcing us to take a knee to honor and worship people. They're not forcing us to do that. Our God has not forced, our government has not forced us yet in that sense. But in Daniel chapter 3, look at Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men who were brought before the king. And I'm not reading the whole part, but this is the main part. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I have set up? Now, if you are ready, 
At the moment, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigron, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, sound like quite a musical deal there, he says, Do you ready to fall down and worship the image that I have made? Very well. Government's telling them what to do, right? Okay? But if you do not worship, or if you will not worship, look at what he's saying. Worship, right? He says, You will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace and a blazing fire, and God, and what God is there that can deliver you out of my hands? Well, we know what God is able to and did, don't we? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, they're being respectful, by the way, even in light of going to the, to the furnace, by the way. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Very simply, right to the point. We're not going to bow down and worship the golden image and that, right? That's where you disobey government, when they cause you to sin. To sin. Thou shalt not worship other gods, right? Right? It cause you to sin, okay? Very clear. What do we see in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 5. I don't think it's causing me to sin to have to wear a mask or to stay six feet away from you, by the way. Just a little side note. Acts chapter 5, verse 27. Now, I don't agree with it, but that's not important. That's not important. Acts chapter 5, verse 27. And when they had brought them, this is Peter and John, I think, and they brought them, they stood before the council, and the high priest questioned them, Acts 5, 28, saying, we gave you strict orders. Now, this is the high priest. They were the governing authorities. It was a theocracy in Israel. Governing authorities gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. Notice what he's saying. Don't teach in the name of Jesus. That's what they're saying. That's the command. We gave you strict orders not to teach in the name of Jesus. And notice what he says. In this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. It's not just speaking of Jesus. That's important too. But notice the issue here at hand was teaching concerning Jesus. Okay? He says it twice. Okay? And he says here, And you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than man. That's the right time. The God of our fathers who raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross, he is the one who has, who God has exalted to his right hand as prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit of whom God has given to those who obey him. Notice when you are having to res- not do what government says, it's because something's going on with the Lord. And notice he shares the truth of the gospel there. It's not just because you disagree with what government is doing. We see this, that there's opportunities to exalt Christ in those moments when they actually were said, caused to sin. And they didn't say, we're not going to do it, we're not going to do it. They explained the gospel. This is what the truth is. So then, when we are called to sin, which would include worshiping other gods, not teaching in the name of Jesus, those are the two examples, then we must obey God rather than men. But they even respectfully answered and gave the gospel. There wasn't pride in that. Well, what about the issue, one issue that used to be a big issue, what about the issue of abortion, the the killing of babies? It's a horrible crime. It's murder. Should Christians break the law to stop it? Well, if the government is calling upon you to abort your baby, yes, If they're calling upon you to kill your baby, yes, you should break the law. That would be sin, wouldn't it? But when wicked men and women are performing abortions and women are willingly making the choice to kill their unborn, that's their choice. And it's a sad, evil thing. It should be illegal. It should be wrong. It should be wrong in the sight of man. Sadly, it isn't. Folks, let me remind you, we do not judge the world. God does. They need salvation in Jesus Christ. They need Jesus Christ. That's what they need. Doesn't mean we don't agree. Again, Herod said it's unlawful for you to do this. Not Herod, but to John to Herod. Doesn't mean we don't agree, but there's respect. And as we'll see in a moment, there's honor. There's honor. 
even with those we disagree with who are very evil. And then notice there's a warning back in our passage, back in our passage, verse 16. Act as free men, back in First Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Act as free men and do not use your freedom for a covering for evil, but use it as bondslaves of God. You've been set free in Jesus Christ. But don't use that freedom in Christ to go out and sin. Don't use your freedom in Christ to sin. Use your freedom in Christ to serve Jesus. We've been set free from serving ourselves and serving Satan to serve Jesus now. Don't go serve sin. Don't go serve sin. Don't use uh, your freedom in Christ as a veil, a little veil or covering to sin. We're in Jesus Christ now. We don't have to obey the government at all because we are Christians. That's wrong. That's wrong. Don't use your freedom in Christ to sin, but serve the Lord in the midst of those ordained relationships. And often in the context of authority and suffering, that's where God manifests the character of Christ and people see it and get saved. They see your good deeds. He does in the context of suffering. So, hey, we've been freed from our sins. We're new creations in Christ. Earth is not our home. We're so generous. We don't need to submit. Nero is an evil, evil guy. I'm free to make these choices now in Christ. Wrong. Don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. And there are many Christian organizations that use their freedom in Christ as a covering to reject these passages here, in essence, in their actions concerning submission. In the context, the evil here would be not submitting to government. So then we have a warning. Don't use it. Don't use it as a cover to sin. Yes, our government may be ungodly at times, but it doesn't take into account God's word, who he has appointed the authority. We see the Lord Jesus himself when he was speaking to Pilate. What did he say? You don't have any authority over me, John 19, except that which has been given by God. Even Pilate, wicked Pilate, Jesus acknowledged the authority that God had. Now, as we finish up, we need to recognize we need to submit with the right attitudes. In the close of this short portion here, he gives a statement which seems to be totally separate, but I believe it really encompasses what he's talking about. Verse 17, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Do you notice there's three things, honor, love, and fear. And honor begins it and ends it, right? And the beginning and end are probably non-believers. All men are not the brotherhood, right? Right? Usually non-believers, right? And the king was not a believer. Love the brotherhood and fear God. These are the internal attitudes that should be manifest in our external actions. You see, I think a lot of times we have a lack of honor for people because of their wickedness. And I'm certainly guilty of that, and I've had to confess that. We have a lack of honor to people because of their wickedness. But he says here, honor all men. We're commanded. We're commanded to honor all men. Certainly we know that man is created in the image of God. We're to honor all men, and we'll look at that in a minute. We're to honor the king. We're to give honor to the king, the one in authority. And we're to fear God and love the brotherhood. Folks, we're called to love one another. Earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, take a look at it, 1 Peter 1, 22, we see that we've been saved unto a love of the brotherhood. How are we to treat each other with love? 1 Peter 1.22, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. You've been saved by Jesus, and when you responded to the gospel, you were purified. And that purification was unto something, a sincere, genuine love of the body of Christ. Do it. Love the brotherhood. But also fear God. What does Solomon say in the end of Ecclesiastes? When all else is said and done, fear God and keep his commands, for this applies to everyone. He'll bring every act of judgment, whether good or evil. And then what about 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17? Look back there. And if you address the Father as one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear 
during your time standing on earth. I find there's a lack of fear of God when people are all about changing things for Christ in this country or whatever it might be, rather than obeying the Lord that people might be saved. Right? He says here, conduct yourselves in fear during your time of stay on the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. Fear God because he sent his son to die for your sins. He shed his blood. He shed his blood. It doesn't mean we don't stand up for the oppressed. It doesn't mean we don't do what is right. It doesn't mean we don't uh, verbalize when God is leading uh, what is wrong. But as we're going to see, there's honor. There's honor. It's a different attitude. It's a different attitude. Honor all men. The term honor means ascribe value. Every single human being, every created, was created in the image of God. Honor. And I've had to confess that I haven't honored people at times because of their sinfulness. Because I don't want to agree with their sinfulness. But that's the wrong attitude. You need to honor them, and you can acknowledge their sinfulness. What this person is doing is very wicked. And if they don't come to Christ, they're on their way to hell. And what they're trying to tell you is very wicked. And what they are doing, corrupting this, whatever it might be, is wicked. But... We need to honor them. Honor all men. And then honor the king. Honor the king. This would have been wicked Nero at this time. His actions might tempt you at that time, tempt them at that time to hate him. The actions of some of our governors who are doing wrong, who are willing to tank their states and, 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 and uh, hurt their people for their political causes is wrong. But we're to honor them. We're to honor them. And we're to submit. Unless. Unless they're telling us to sin. Because we are lights in a dark world. Whether you understand it or not, there are people watching your behavior. There are people around you, your family, your co-workers, even non-believers in the church that may be acting like believers. They're watching your behavior. Let your light shine in such a way that they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So how are we to respond to wicked governments? Well, we're to submit, we're to honor, we're to obey. And one last thing I want to point out. It's not in our passage, but it's really important. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. You see, just because God has ordained government and is sovereign over it doesn't mean he agrees with government when they do evil look in the proverbs he doesn't he talks about kings should be doing what is right not what is wrong right and he wants us to pray that things might change he's actually asking us to do so first timothy excuse me i said may have said it wrong first timothy 2 verse 1 first of all then i urge that entreaties in Prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all who are in authority. I like that. Just what we talked about. In order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, here's the issue, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. Pray. When you are tempted to act, pray. I believe when the time that the Lord has us acting, it's going to be in the context of doing what is right. The Lord is going to lead us. But pray. Pray. Pray for our leaders that they'd be saved, that we could have a quiet life. When you disagree with uh, Inslee, pray for his salvation. When you disagree with the counties, whatever it might be, pray for them. When you disagree with those things, pray for them. And so we see that we are to submit, obey, and honor, and pray. That's how we're to respond. Unless we are told to sin, and then in that point, we don't disrespect, but we obey God rather than man. It's that simple. So let's pray. 
Dear Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you are sovereign over all these things that are happening, Lord, and there are many things that disturb our hearts as we see wickedness uh, seemingly uh, getting greater and greater by the day. Lord, it is our desire that in our country we are able to live a peaceful and quiet life. And we desire even our government to function in a way that you have ultimately ordained, that it would punish evildoers. And so, Lord, we come before you when we pray for our leaders, we pray for our president, we pray for their salvation. We pray that our actions in the midst of these difficulties in which we disagree at times would be that which glorify you, which those who don't know you might see our good deeds and ultimately glorify you too. Lord, help us to see things rightly. Help us to confess when we have not honored, Lord God, when we have not uh, feared and loved the brother, feared you and loved the brotherhood. Help us to see things rightly in the midst of uh, all that is going on. So we pray we'd be able to live a quiet, peaceful life in righteousness, which is good and acceptable in your sight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.